just just rise queen rise welcome to the candid conversation show i'm your host marilyn fontaine artist and creative coach for women who want success and income with ease Okay, so welcome, Mars. Welcome to the Candid Conversations. I'm Marilyn Fontaine, and I have a special guest today with me. And so you guys don't think that I'm here on my own, just having a fantasy life, which isn't hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) I have got a fellow coach, a Black UK coach. She's not just coaches, many of other things. I'm going to get you to introduce yourself, Mars, and tell me what is your title? What do you do? So I'm Mars Lord. Mars like the planet, not like chocolate. Nothing sweet about me, people. (laughs) I am a life coach. I I love working with black-bodied women and dealing with our internalised misogynoir. That's my favourite thing to do. I will coach all people but that's my favorite thing to do as well as being a life coach I'm also a doula educator a doula for sure is a professional birth companion and I am the leading voice for black maternal health here in the UK and quite possibly over a fair bit of the globe as well so that's me Mars Lord so I'm just going to start from the beginning as Drake says, right? No, it started from the bottom, didn't you say that? Anyway, I want to find out how you got into um, your doula work. I do know this story, but for the people that are listening. Yes, so I became a doula when my twins were small babies. And what happened was I went to a school coffee morning because I basically wanted to have empty hands for an hour. Mm-hmm. So... I went to on a school coffee morning. I'm not a school coffee morning kind of person, but desperate means. And I arrived and exactly as I predicted, they opened the door, they saw the twins. No one was interested in me. They just whipped the twins away. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. And so I went out to have some tea and some cake. And a woman there was talking about doulas and I'd never heard the phrase before. So I was having a little earwig, having a little listen. And then I thought, oh, I supported my sister. And then I supported my friend when her child was born. So when their children were born, Mm -hmm. I went, oh, well, I could do this. So I found out a bit more about it, discovered that I decided if I didn't like it, I would only have to do four births to make my money back that I'd invested in the training. That's how my brain works. I went to St. Lucia for my birthday some years back and I used to encapsulate placentas. And I was like, how many percenters do I need to encapsulate to get my flight to St Lucia and my hotel (laughs) so I break it down like that anyway I attended the first birth Mm -hmm. and I came out and I looked up and I couldn't believe that cars and trucks were still going people were walking by I'm like do you all not know what just happened in that room it's incredible and I've kept that love for it since and then I started to get involved in birth activism because When I started as a doula, black-bodied women were twice as likely to white-bodied women to die in the perinatal period. Now, as a caveat, we should all know that maternal mortality rates are really low. It's just that black-bodied people are extremely highly... You know, we say representation matters. Yeah, Yeah, this wasn't the representation we were looking for. (laughs) Right. 
over my sort of two decades of being a birth worker, mm-hmm. um, it rose to five times more. So black-bodied women are up to five times more likely to die. So mm. when I'm not being a life coach, mm. I'm a birth activist and I'm always being a life coach because even when I'm doing my activism, I'm coaching people through some of their responses. Yeah. But um, that's what I do. Wow. Um, that's quite important because I've got a cousin that's just training to be a, a doula and I've got a client who's a doula as well. You've got um, a client training to be a doula and she didn't come to me? A no, cousin of me? I got... She wants to come to you afterwards because she, I don't know where she went. I was surprised because she's, I didn't expect her to be a jeweler, but she's, yeah. A, she, yeah, I think she's saving her penny. I said to you, you need to, you just need to just go. To yeah, but come and train with me because I'll keep you culturally safe and culturally humble. And um, I had someone talk to me the other day and they said that they had done another doula course. And because everyone tacks cultural competency on, she said it lasted five minutes and I'm like, wow. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, isn't it? About, um, you know, being in the industry that you have been as a jeweler and mm. what was it like before to be, to be having to represent black-bodied women, as you say, mm. without, you know, and breaking the stereotype of being angry and the strong black woman. Oh no, I tell them all I'm angry because what's going on with black maternal health, it's not a crisis, crises we deal with, it's a scandal because it's been going on for decades, it's been going on forever. So I tell people I am an angry, I am, I say to them, I am your angry black woman, Mm. but you would be angry if your community was dying the way mine are. But I take your point. When I, so people would, come to join this doula organization that I was part of at the time. And they would always point to me as, oh yeah, we've got black doula. Yeah, there's our black doula, there's our black doula. Now I knew there were a few more black doulas in the country, but they weren't involved with this um, organization and it's not culturally safe. So I'm not surprised they weren't there. So I'm just me. Remember I said, I'm Mars like the planet, not like the Well, chocolate. this is it, Mars, yeah, I'm exactly. Like, this, this, this is, I remember being as part of the leadership team Mm -hmm. and a whole thread kicked off in Facebook about um, diversity, inclusion, black Mm -hmm. mothers and things. And one of the leadership team said, why has no one ever told us about this? I said, I've been sat opposite you for seven years telling you about this. And then she said, in all her privilege, I'm leaving this conversation now. Because that's what they do. What was, what was it that I was talking about that I'm writing about today? It's a privilege not to see things. Yeah. Yeah. She chose not to see. So I just told them as it was. And in fact, mm-hmm. it was at that point that I said, you know what? You all can stay where you are. I'm going to get on and do my own stuff. And um, a lot of people sort of go to them because they accredit courses. Mm-hmm. And when I went to have mine accredited, mm-hmm two things happen. One, the first was I thought, why am I wanting my course accredited by people when I know I want to reach black and brown bodied people and it's not safe for them here? But the second thing was they wanted to charge me three times what they charged people before to have my course accredited with them. Anyway, so I walked away from that and I've trained hundreds of doulas and I'm very happy. Black and brown bodied doulas and white bodied doulas who all come out with birth activism and reproductive justice right through their core. And they're all doing incredible work. 
And so, yeah, that's that's how that happened. And in fact, I find that it speaks very much to my life as a black coach. It's really funny. You guys can't see Mars's face. <laughs> but she has she's saying that and she's talking a really strong subject, really, I would say divine mother, right? Not Yang, divine mother, because the original goddess was quite strong. Um, but she she's got the gestures of a cat. <laughs> so she's got these really, it's kind of soft and moving. So you would think that this woman's standing there with a strong stance, but it's actually, she's almost like she's purring as she's saying these words. That's really funny because I was I was speaking to uh, an American, a black, mm. sorry, not American, she doesn't like to be called American, a black um, reproductive justice warrior from the United States. And she said, and I'm still laughing about it now, she said to me, you know how to talk to white people. She said, we need to get you to talk to more of them because you yeah. know how to talk to them. And maybe it's that, that, you know, what you see in, in my mannerisms is what, makes them feel safe, even though my words to them are really quite straight down the line. And I tell them that I've no time for white centering and fragility and tears and saviorism and white exceptionalism. And if they get uncomfortable with my words, they need to live with it because they're gonna be uncomfortable for the 45 minutes I'm talking. Whereas I gotta stay uncomfortable in my black skin in their white world for my entire life. And I think, and that's what I probably see. And I think, do you think that's what's the, what's made you go as far as you have become in in your business? Because um, you know you you're you're an entrepreneur as well as someone mm. dealing with social justice, and we do need the two. We, we do, do to. Um, but I think, like you said, you it's maybe is how you can deliver it. And but maybe. the beauty is that I think is that underneath. Because I used to get at school, you know, you're not like other people, you're all right. And I used to oh get that as a badge of honour when I was younger, right? I used to look down my top and go, no, I look exactly like the other people that you're <laughs> talking about. <laughs> well, this is it. So do you feel like it's your unapologetic, your unapologetic, but there must have, where was the safety that came into your being that allowed you to be unapologetic for such a long time? After I do a talk like that, I don't see white people for days. <laughs> I've got um, a couple of really, really good white-bodied friends. Yeah. And they just say, you're doing this. Okay, we'll see you next week. Because they know I'm just, it's mm -hmm. like, I'm not debriefing this to anyone. I'm going to go into a nice, safe black space and I'm going to just have nice, thriving fun with my sisters, you know, and with my sister friends. So that's important what you've just said because you said about a safe black space mm. which when we're processing our traumas and this is what I had to try to get across to my white bodied friends especially mm. during a pandemic mm. is that I need time I need space mm. to, to kind of look at what I've been experiencing talking about for years mm. but it's finally come up um, mm. I need time but I think the fact that you was able to do that that means you must be brilliant as a coach, holding space for black women. Because, I like to think so. Well, because I think that you you come, it's, it feels to me that it hasn't been, obviously you've had to work on it, but mm. what I'm saying, there's an intrinsic energy about you of, I'm safe, I belong, I have a right. Like you're such a, you're so aware of your rights. 
where did that come from? And we're going to go into coaching in a minute. God, I mean, that didn't come early and it didn't come easy because, you know, I was born in the 60s. I looked like I was born in the 2000s, but I was born in the mm-hmm. 60s. <laughs> <laughs> and grew up around all of that inherent societal messaging that told us that we weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. I grew up being told, oh, you speak very nicely for someone who's black or you speak really nice for someone who's black. I'm like, yeah, I speak much nicer than you, mate, don't I? You know, <laughs> and... Oh, you're not like them. I don't mean you. Yes. Obviously not yet. So I grew up with all of that and it just kept rankling. And okay, so in full disclosure, I think, and I think this is the reason why internalised misogynoir is important to me. So when I was younger, I married a white guy and had kids with him. And the longer our marriage went on, the more I realised I was in the wrong space. Because he didn't see, accept and hold my blackness. I wasn't safe in my blackness with him. And I think it was having having the children and realising that I needed them to know who they were in this world. And all five of my children, because I have five of them, as you know, and they go through various stages of pale. I tell you, I fed them so much chicken and put them out in the sun as much as I could to get the melanin to kick in. But all of my children will tell you they're black. Yeah. And they know their blackness. And I think it's that. And I knew that myself had changed when my daughter, my eldest daughter, she told me some years ago, um, she was working in the supermarket while she was at uni. And she said, this man keeps coming in and asking me out. And I got really fed up of her telling me. And I went, do you know what? Just tell him that, you've got a boyfriend. And she said, you didn't raise me to be a strong, independent young black woman to tell some man that I can't be his property because I'm the property of someone else. And I went, damn, I was good. And so I I really think it was through having the children and suddenly seeing myself in a different light. Right. Deciding who did I want to be? Mm -hmm. And and the, the more I started to inhabit myself, Right. The further I got from my ex-husband, I call him, uh, someone used the phrase, well, I don't have ex-friends, I have completed friends. So my completed husband, I love that, the closing of the circle, there's yeah. no, no drama there. Um, and I just started to really find out about myself. I didn't go on any spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. I didn't suddenly locks up, even though I wear locks now, yeah. um, you know, I just started to know myself and started to speak myself because I got fed up of people telling me what I couldn't be. And I know that that started when I was 11, when a school teacher Mm -hmm. told us the class to write an essay on someone famous that they wanted to be like. Yeah. And I said to the teacher, I can't do that. And she said, well, I said, I don't want to be like anybody. Oh, I think it was always in me. Yeah. But I didn't know. And I got in trouble for that. I got detention for that because I didn't I didn't want to write this essay. And she said I was being, you know, facetious and whatever. But as I've grown, I just went, do you know what? I mean, I can't remember who said it. It's one of the coaches of colour, one of the US coaches mm-hmm. said, and I say this all the time because I, I just resonated so hard. The longest, most enduring relationship you have with anyone in this world is with yourself. Self. 
And so somewhere along the line, I had learned that lesson, even though I didn't know that phrase. And I just went, no, this is me. And frankly, you know, I I remember when um, I left my husband or put him out that I remember thinking, (laughs) me and Tony Braxton had a whole whole relationship through this thing, (laughs) me and her songs. Oh, my God. I just remember thinking, do you know what? If I can be voluntarily alone mm-hmm. raising five children yeah i can be whoever the fuck i want to be you can swear on here you can swear yeah <laughs> yeah i forgot to ask you that at the beginning no, you can swear, I, yeah. sometimes my putty mouth comes out Listen. but you know i just thought i can be whoever the fuck i want to be yeah and so i just and of course when i look at black maternal health and how angry it makes me that black women, they blame our bodies, they blame our lack of education, they blame our lack of money, but black-bodied women are dying for the exact same reasons that white-bodied women are dying in maternity, but at much greater rates. Not because we have weak bodies, because if that were true, we wouldn't be the global majority. Yeah, but, and yeah, and fertile. Right? But because we're not listened to, and I'm like, damn it. And as I stood more and more for that, I realised mm-hmm. to stand for those women and those birthing people first I have to stand for myself because my longest most enduring relationship is with, is with me do you come from a big family uh, two sisters and two brothers are they uh, some of them back home or here my brothers were back home um one died about nine years ago oh, sorry to hear about my, that. Uh, my other one but he's over here now but he's <laughs> He's building a nice house in Jamaica and I've already told him because he's going up in September for a while. The next time he goes up, he better make sure he's fixed the kitchen because I'm going with him. And then my two things. <laughs> the only reason I say that is because there's a big thing about um, enmeshed families. You know, in the Caribbean, we have extended families and enmeshment. Yeah. And that plays a big part in, in agency with people, mm. how, we, how we become our own selves and how we... Um, can think for ourselves. I come from a big family mm. and, you know, extended family. And it's really interested on the journey that it takes people, especially my clients with big families, the journey it takes the separation or if they've got no yeah. one at all, it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's the extension. It's, it's weird because my mother was from a really big family, but because she came over here, we became a very small family. Yeah. And my two brothers... Uh, stayed in Jamaica before mm. she married my dad and came over here and so we were just us and on my father's side mm. there were family but there was problems there so we didn't see much of them yeah. so very much I've always thought of us as a small family yeah and um but like my mother I have five children yeah and suddenly I've created my own big family yeah and but... I know that my grandkids yeah are just gonna have all these Cousins and aunts and uncles yeah. are be really happy. Wow, it's good. And also you've had your own agency and you've developed yourself while you've made yeah. this family, which is you're not re- revisiting some sort of ancestral pattern. Yeah. It's like it stops with you and starts with you and then you're yeah. filtering that out. And so with coaching, because it's like, you know, it's like an extended family on one aspect, even though you have professional boundary. How did you get into coaching? Because of my doulering. So my one of my closest friends, white-bodied woman, Maisie Hill. Mm-hmm. I've heard who, of Maisie Hill. Yeah. yeah, she's 
a phenomenal coach, a menstrual health business coach. She, she's currently launching this program to support business whilst harnessing the hormones of your menstrual cycle. Yeah. She's incredible. Anyway, we met when we were both doulas and I kept hearing this name, Maisie Hill. And I, who is this Maisie Hill? And she kept hearing Miles Lord. She said, who is this Miles Lord? And then we both were at a meeting together because we'd become, uh, we were mentors of younger doulas or newer doulas. And we just, we were sharing, we were on the bus back together. And then I suddenly said to her, do you want to get something to eat? Because, you know, we Jamaicans, never knowingly underfed. And she said, yes. And we sat and we chatted and we just bonded immediately. And then that was it. We just became firm, fast friends. Anyway, mm -hmm. in 2019, I decided that it, I was going to stop attending births. I, I didn't want to be menopausing on birthing floors, etc. And also I wanted to concentrate on uh, training new doulas and birth keepers, etc. Mm. And then the pandemic hit. And as the pandemic hit, suddenly doulas weren't allowed to go into births anymore. Right. I was talking to Maisie and she said to me, so what are your plans going forward? And I said, well, I was going to stop doulaing this year anyway, and now it has been stopped. And she said, oh, so what are you going to do? I said, oh, you know, I'll just keep training doulas. She said, yeah, because you know you're a coach, right? And I said, <laughs> what? She said, well, you know you're a coach. I'm a coach. I haven't done anything to be a coach. She said, you've just spent the last 20 years coaching people yeah. through their birth experiences, through their post-birth experience, through the doulas that you have mentored, etc." And I went, oh, I'm a coach. She said, yes. I went, okay, so what do I have to do? She said, just get out there and coach. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started. And um, then I thought, you know what? let me go get a certification because I still haven't quite gotten rid of that bit of white patriarchy that says you need yeah. a certificate for everything. Yeah. And I went and trained with the life coach school and, oh my goodness, I loved it and got so frustrated with it at the same time. I mean, <laughs> because the group of people I'm with, I'm like, oh, come on now. There's more <laughs> to life than that. <laughs> but hmm. I did find it really fascinating and lots of and so I have my my LCS training yeah and myself yeah and I I almost didn't do the training because mm. um or with them because everything I saw was blonde and white blonde and white and I went yeah. I can't I can't <laughs> and then the wonderful Brick Johnson oh my god started started something that has made the life coach go shit we racist as fuck we need to change yeah Brick I love Brig, she's your coach, and mm. uh, honestly, I just love Brig. And yeah. so, I just—that was how I got into it. And I was like, okay. But my mum says, "You have a lot of knowledge, and you like to share it." And I'm like, it's true. Yeah. But I love people. I mean, yeah. I do see doulering and life coaching as exactly the same. The difference is, yeah. there's no human baby at the end of it but there is a baby because it's normally an ideology a, a, a physical product a business yes. marriage Mindset sexuality every something is always the other day it was interior design there you go see amazing <laughs> no I was like this at the end of the call wait 
did I just help this woman design her house? Because <laughs> yeah. I was helping her with um, decision making and things. But it is. And when I so when I started as a coach and I struggled with my identity as a coach, mm. Maisie would say, it's just doulering. Because yeah, yeah. doulering, I was like the most expensive doula in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, and every, people wanted me all over the place. I had people booking me before mm-hmm. they'd even spoken to me. They booked me in their minds and in their diaries, right? Yeah. And then, and it took a while. And as soon as the pieces clicked together, oh, being a life coach yeah, is yeah. just doulering people's lives. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I got this shit. I know how this works. Well, this exactly. Ex- that's you doing it. I mean, I've got a client that calls herself a human design jeweler mm-hmm. and she does coaching, you know, yeah. but it's exactly the same. I mean, you, you, it's just putting a formal container title around stuff you've been yes. doing for ages. Um, yes. I mean, I did my coaching course like that 10, 15 years ago, and and then I did NLP afterwards, and that's when a lot of people weren't really doing life coaching, or mm-hmm. it was very. You know where it was under? It was under the International Coaching Federation. I didn't do International Coaching Federation Mm. because at the time I didn't have much money or my concept of money as it was different. And it was very white. Mm. And you couldn't get you couldn't get career development loan. I mean, my life coach course was funded by the European Social Fund. I come from East Ham and I saw a leaflet. And then the second course I had to pay a thousand for. There was two, there was an introduction with Trust Read, and the second one I had to pay for. But thank God I was able to do that in an NLP mm. course because I didn't have access to the kind of funding that we, you know, like you could get career development loan. Yeah. They didn't have that, but it was also very white. Um, I also thought it was a bit Emperor's New Clothes. <laughs> you know, you're naked. You think you've got clothes on, but really you're naked. Yeah. And I just, and I, and oh, that was something I had to fight through. Maisie was like, come on now. Do you think that's the kind of work that I would do? Yeah. And I think that's another reason why it took, because I did think about probably about the same time that you trained, yeah. it did flash through my head that I should become a life yeah. coach. But I just looked and went, yeah, no, it looks a bit sketchy. It, do you know what? Me and Tavona laughed in my last life because we said I refused to be that person because I was doing healing and massage at the time. And all the coaches would be by the, on, in a suit and, you know, hands folded, looking yeah. to the side. And me and Tavona, I said, oh, I'm never going to be that person. Like I was, someone said to me, go to do corporate. I said, I don't want to do corporate because I think the problems are in the workplace. Mm. I want to do people. And that's mm. what I did. And now I do business. But for you, I just wanted to ask, how do you find running a business as a black woman, mm. um, you know, making good shitloads of money, right? How do you find um, the world relates to you? So you own black people and people that are not black. That's tricky that, isn't it? Mm. Because, look, There are arseholes in every walk of life in every community, right? Mm. So there are always going to be the people who love you, who support you, who are there for you, who want the best for you. Mm. Then there are always going to be the people that say, look, she thinks you're fine. She thinks you're nice. Yes. 
And you know what? I just thought, well, and one of the joys of being a coach is I'm not responsible for your thoughts and you're yeah. about to be wrong about me. Yeah. So if you think that is who I am, well, that's your responsibility. That's you, your thoughts, yeah. your mind, your whatever it is you're doing, that's fine. Because I know it's not me. Yeah. I can't define and live my life according to how you want me to because that's what I was doing when I was growing. That's what I was doing when I wasn't as self-assured, you know, just following, trying to keep myself safe and quiet and doing what people expect of me. And then one day it's like, you know, I'm a grown ass woman. I do what I like. (laughs) I love it. This is lovely theme on, it's real on Instagram. I love Instagram reels. I do love, I love doing a reel now. I love And and this black woman, she basically says, so how comes you letting people dictate what you do and they don't even pay your bills? Yeah. But it's so true. (laughs) Like, but the reason I ask that question is, is because, Especially when you're well known for one thing and you go and you pivot and you do something else, which is basically the same thing, just a different hat, right? Like wearing a Stetson and a bloody beret, right? Yeah. And you, you've got your beret on as, as well as your Stetson or maybe them together sometimes. Mm. Nobody cares. But I do feel that, especially in the UK, that sometimes I find people find it's coming to dissonance especially black women when we change or we we evolve in Mm. the business field because sometimes there may be a belief or thought that we like if you're a jeweler you're meant to you're not meant to charge so much money or you're not meant to be like there's a really weird um, yeah it's like you're serving and because you're serving you shouldn't get paid and I'm like yeah, but my boiler man is serving me and he gets paid. The, the plumber, she gets paid. Yeah. Why should everyone but the black woman get paid? Yeah. I don't understand it. Because, you know, in fact, Maisie and I were mm. two of the first jewellers to cross the £1,000 mark for birth. This was years ago. And then, then we were the first ones to cross the £2,000 mark yeah. and the £2,500 yeah. mark. People are like, what? And it's like, no, I like, I, you know, I don't want to live by street lamps. I like the lights on inside my house. I've got children to feed. I've got myself to feed. And actually, the service that I'm providing is really good. And if you don't want it, that's okay. Yeah. Because I'm not for everybody, but everybody isn't for me. But my, I love people until I don't. So my door is always open. Yes. But if you come for me and say, well, you think you're this because you make this, it's like, no. Why do you want me to stay conformed to that white patriarchal bullshit that says I deserve nothing? Malcolm says the most unprotected person in society yeah. is a black woman. Exactly. So how is it when I'm protecting myself, doing work I love, yeah. why is that a problem? But I think... I hope Mm. as a community we're changing and evolving because do you know across the globe the highest percentage of entrepreneurs are black Black women? women. Yes, definitely. And this is why I think it's so important that we have in this conversation, especially because we are from the UK and we are not 
we are not charging cheap for our services because we are not cheap and we come with a bag of knowledge and we're helping those women become a statistic, part of the statistic. And my clients come away earning far more money than when they started with me. Exactly. I mean, I always say to somebody, I said to my my client, a certain amount of money, over 30 grand from doing a massage business. And I said to her, at the time of what I was charged, I said to her, that's like 10%. You've paid me 10% of what you made on average, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and, but before it was even for myself to be charging that, I was like, hold on a minute. But then I knew deep down, no, you, they're getting such a good deal. I had, with to, I had to coach myself, even though my entry fee as mm. a coach mm. was my exit fee as a doula. Yeah. I still had to coach myself. I can charge this yes and people will pay this and guess what people do I think I'm 50 50 black bodied white bodied in my coaching practice but more and more black bodied women are coming towards me yes and saying do you know what I'm going to find a way to pay that because I want what you Uh have I want in my life helping me to manage my mind and you know what that is really important because there's two things is their thought is changing about investment mm-hmm. you know the thought is changing about investment so I'm like mm-hmm. um because all my clients are black all my clients are oh well black bodies working on it working on it I know but it's weird I but I think it's to do with my belief as well as constant I'll tell you what's happened with me when I used to do massage I used to do Portobello Road and I used to be in a clinic and I used to do massage healing all my clients was white, all in the media. And I created a belief around certain type of clients that make money. Yeah. But massage for me is a service industry where you're, it's service, you know, yeah. I'm massaging yeah. you, rubbing you down. When I had coaching, I, my first few clients, I had one white and few black. I've always historically had, and I've not just marketed to black women. I've always had black women, mm. black, 5% white. I had it in my head, this concept was, is that why am I not getting white women when my, my now my thing is different. My, my message is just for the creatives, but I do come from an anti-white supremacist patriarchal stance, right? Mm. But I made it in my mind that are people not booking me because it's coaching and it's not a uh, massage? It's not massage. It's not you. Yeah. At their feet, pretty much, just... Yes. And that was my fault. And maybe there's some truth in it, but I reckon it's a lot to do with my thoughts as well. I think it's probably a lot to do with your thoughts because I get, you know... Actually, no, my... (laughs) My thought is this. Because I market towards black women, the white women will come because they can't bear to not be inside. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true. And I think... You've hit something there. Because I market, I remember marketing to generic, like how, you know, the old style market was like, yeah. market like you're marketing generally. All the black people just came. Like literally everybody, a few of them you know, just came. And I was like, this is really interesting. But I know that's my fault because I do know there's what, I've had a few white people circumventing. 
and mm. they say, you know, I'll get back to you. But maybe they're worried because my I'm always banging on about white supremacy and patriarchy. But mm. it's really important because they underpin everything. The underpin, even underpins women saying to you they want to come back to you and they know they can work with you. Mm. But because of patriarchy, they're full in their head. I'm not sure if I can invest in myself that much yeah. yet. Well, I had to, I mean, that was a journey that I took. Yeah. Life coach school was not cheap. No, it's not. And I'm like, holy God. <laughs> and yeah, I did it. Yeah. It wasn't easy. I didn't sort of go, oh, here you are, here's my X amount of thousands and thousands of pounds. Yeah. But when I paid it off, I was so, I was so pleased, so proud of myself that I got there. But I, I had to coach myself as I was doing it to, yeah. I am worth this investment. Yes. I'm investing, and because I'm investing in me, yeah. my clients get it. I took, I did training to become a doula. Yeah. And so my clients got the benefit of the training that I did and the extra learning extended study that I did. Yeah. So to remind myself, this is, when I invest in me, look, when black women invest in themselves, the whole of society goes up. The whole of society goes yeah. up. And what, yeah. I, what I do more and more, and it's be, finally becoming easier to do, is I invest in black. I do I've only got one white guy on my team. Because he's my nerdy, geeky uh, tech guy. Yeah. And um, because I've had him from time and he's just so good. And he, I mean, he's just, he's uh, done or doing Nova Reed's um, anti-racism course. He doesn't talk to me about it because he says that it's not my place to be teaching him. But mm -hmm. so he gets it. Yeah. And when I ran a birth conference, mm -hmm. Nobody would know who he was because they never saw his face. He was never there. But my coach is black. You know, my VA is black. Yeah. The woman who does my social media is black, you know. And I, the joy of doing work that I love and being paid for the work that I love is that I can put my money where I want to. I have power and freedom to put my money where I want yeah. to put it. And I put, and I always get some saying, someone saying, well, I could help you do that. Yeah, I, I give my money to black. Yes, but I could help you. Yeah, that's fine. And I'm sure you could, and that's wonderful. But I've made the decision that I'm investing back into my community. Well, I think that's racist. I'm like, well, it's not because you yeah. don't understand the definition of racism. racism yeah. You're allowed to be wrong about me because yeah. I'm still going to invest in this. And so investing in myself mm has enabled me to invest in others like me because I'm doing this work. I'm not going to say I've done this work because this, this work is a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey. I'm doing this work. And because I'm doing this work, mm -hmm. my clients benefit, my community benefits. Yes. You, know? you answered my question about financial stability because um, I think it's so important it's for, for um, women especially black-bodied women, as you um, put, it's really important because when we make our money, because it's not just for us and us having nice things, I like clothes, but yeah. I support, like you said, black businesses. I've got a white therapist. I've had her for years, and so she just knows me. But mm -hmm. I've got, my VA is black that I'm talking to because um, I roller skate a lot of the young boys and young girls that have like little businesses. 
So yeah. it's always like, what can auntie buy from you? You know, like yeah. you've got a cap, you've got a t-shirt. And, and yeah. for me, that's my legacy as well. It's not just, and also my family, showing my family that you can work for yourself. Yes. If you want to and still pay a mortgage and still do things, you know, which I never had that before. It was like, of course we didn't. We had, to, we had to work in particular industries in there and hopefully we could get up. We were always hopeful that we could get up. Yes. And, and I think the difficulty is when we said, you know, I don't want to hope, I want to do. Yeah. And we get up and we do. And people are like, whoa, who do you think you are doing that? And yet, I like to think that I'm someone who brings people up with me. Yes. Yeah. And that's really funny because I was going to ask you about the Brig called it when Brig done a call, the big house syndrome, which I didn't realize what that was in America. But it's, we know we say crabs in a barrel. And yeah. because I pulled, I'm, I'm at this point, this high point here, I don't want to bring um, you with me. Yeah. You know, um, so, and you're saying that, like, you want to, when you raise yourself up, you're raising others. But have you experienced that, that big house syndrome when somebody? Yes. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, no, you're not my people. Yeah. You're not my people. I mean, look, my the name and logo that I have for my coaching, even though I'm Mars Law Coaching, is Rising Queens. Yeah. Because we know if you lift the lowest in society, you lift all of society. Yeah. Simple example. Look at the TV adverts when, you know, when white people discovered racism existed during the murder of uh, George Floyd. Mm -hmm. They started to put more black people in the adverts. Then you've got the, oh my God, why can't we have normal people? Because obviously being black-bodied, we're not normal. But then, as the more they used black-bodied people in the adverts, the more they used the Q plus community in the adverts, the more they yeah. used the disabled community. Because they, they, never, they can I... never just raise us. In an isolated fashion. Yeah. But the benefit is that everybody gets raised. Yeah. And so when people say, so I get really cross when people, you know, you know, when we had all of that and we still kind of do that nonsense about Muslims being terrorists and things because <sighs> some people do. And I would turn around to black friends That's and right. say, how dare you? Yeah. Were you not just the one he was kicking? How comes now you want to be Massa? You want to be yeah. the one with, with the whip. You want to be the one doing all of this stuff. Mm -mm. I said, you were just in that place. And trust me, when they turn their attention from them, you're going straight back there. So why aren't we all coming together? Together. Bringing everybody up. Yeah. And I just, I do, I do think that it's about bringing people up with you. Because otherwise, I don't want to be that person. Oh, it's lonely at the top. Mm -mm. I want to oh. turn around and go, open yeah. another bottle of fizz, pour me another rum punch, oh. look at me and my peoples, them all on top. It does feel like that sometimes where... You want to bring people up. Um, but, you know, after listening to Brig and that talk, what she had for the Coaches of Colour Collective, and she said about, it might not have been, it might have been her own, what is it, coffee hour or rum hour? Uh, <laughs> melanin hour. Melanin hour, yeah. So it was a melanin hour one. And she said that about, because somebody said, oh, you know, I like your, um, I'm trying not to listen to you because I, I just, you're my coach and I absorb everything. And I'm creating this program. And she said, so what? She said, so what? She said, and she said that to me before in personal coaching, you know, coaching. She said, so what? You know, it's not the same. But yeah. 
but I, I just, I mean, not so much, like I said, not so much in coaching. I don't know. I know black healers and all the other stuff. I don't know a lot of black coaches that are doing what we do. You know, like that's part we of We've got to find them. we just got to find them and, and keep bringing is, them up. And I hope that this day listen to this conversation. There's a few I know. I mean, there was one, there was one sister, she was doing um, market research. And I came on the market research and it was around dating. And she said, I'm honoured that you, you know, you, cho- you know, you, you wanted to be part of the market research. I said, why not? Because to me, like, I want to support you. So they will see me in spaces, but maybe sometimes I'm wondering if sometimes where it's not just a big house syndrome, it's that some people feel they're not, <laughs> I'm out there, isn't it? You're out there, yeah. you'll just do, we're just being us. Yeah. Everybody has that confidence, perhaps. So this is a call to those coaches or the people that want to connect, mm. you know, but I wonder because I don't see it as much. No, I don't see it. And that makes me sad. Yeah. That makes me sad because there are so many incredible black-bodied women Mm. out there. So many who could be doing so much more than they're doing, but they they feel trapped. I think, was it Angela Davies at um, the WOW Festival of Humor on the South Bank? And she said, white women worry about the um, about the glass ceiling. Mm. Black women, we don't even know the floor. Oh my God, that is so powerful. And I'm like, yeah, and that's what we're talking about, you know? So the reason I love supporting black-bodied women mm. is because it's like, honey, we don't need to listen to that bullshit that tells us yeah. that we're nothing. And we don't need to depend on the white-bodied feminists who really are just there to become white patriarchal men. Yeah, definitely. So. We don't need to listen to that. We, do you know? I still think that one of the best things that happened to black women is the internet. Yeah, because suddenly our voices joined, and we weren't the only one. We weren't this one sort of. Oh, I'm trying to fit in. I'm just not fitting in yes. because I can't hold this down. And suddenly it's like, oh, it's not just me one saying this. Yes, come on. Exactly. The roar began to rise. And I think that's why we see so many of the the younger black women starting to say, no, this is what, I mean, everyone's got a business now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, come on. I've got all these adopted children, nieces, nephews, they all got businesses, all young black women. And it is amazing. And, um, we're just we're going to finish shortly but what advice would you give somebody that's perhaps wanting to get coaching um or wanting to start in in the doula business? in the doula business well if you want to train as a doula you need to come and find me because i'm gonna keep you safe and i go all i remember yeah. mars god of war not chocolate anyone comes for you <laughs> they've got to come through me first you, you want to ask the doulas that i've trained that yeah <laughs> Someone has gone for them and I'm there in a flash and they're like, I didn't even know you saw that. It's like, yeah, I see you all. I just, I want to build you up and think. So if you're thinking of being a doula, then you come and you look for me. Just Google my name and you'll find me. It's so easy. But I'm Abuela Doulas, which is- I love Abuela, grandmother. Right, yeah. Because birth for me, the the work that I do, it's bringing the wisdom of the grandmothers into modern birth. 
because yeah. we throw so much of that good stuff away and then we wonder yeah. why we're all having cesareans inductions and all of these things yeah. when it comes to um in fact as what i've done is because i think there's so much learning to be done in the doula space is i've launched a lifetime course one fee perfect and a half thousand pounds you get a live yeah. weekly call so you're getting mentoring reflection all that. you're you're learning so mm. and we've got experts coming in to talk to you but that's what i believe in seeing this just grow yes right and i reckon do two births three at the push and you've paid for it remember me my if i do four births i'll have paid for it yes but oh, it's the center in calculation yeah, yeah. <laughs> investing in yourself is so important and we don't do it and it's painful because we're like, I can't believe I'm paying this. I can't believe I'm spending this money. And it's something that we've not done before. And yet we'll buy the best buggies and, you know, the shoes and the, yeah. we'll buy the things that vanish, but we won't invest in our internal self, yeah. which would give us all the things that we need to buy all of those um, superficial outside things. That's you know, so when, Go on. Yeah. And when it comes to coaching, I mean, obviously... <laughs> they have amazing incredible women like you as well but we black coaches are out here yeah you know and and between us we know at least half a dozen in the in the uk and if we know half a dozen it means there's got to be at least another half a dozen yeah. somewhere and i would just say money is an exchange of energy yeah and when you exchange this money and you come into the coaching space, yeah. we're going to hold you safe. Or as I like to tell people, yes. I'm going to hold you safe whilst kicking your butt. Exactly. Uh, My clients will tell you that. As well. <laughs> it's like, let's help, you know, let's get you to see what is holding you down. What is the societal narrative, the personal narrative, the familial narrative that you keep buying into that keeps you small? When I was, I was talking to one of my clients today mm. and she said, yeah, but I like to be humble. And I said, well, what does humble mean to you? Yeah. And she said, well, being humble is about equity. I said, but you're not talking about equity. No. You're talking about being a doormat. You're talking about hiding your light. You're talking yeah. about staying back. And she said, oh, I said, so you say the right words, but the meaning that you have to those words is the other meaning to humble. Yes. And because you are staying humble, mm. people are missing out on the value and the gorgeousness and the wonderfulness of yeah. you. Because she works in the reproductive justice space as well. And she said, people take my work. And I'm like, yes, because you're too busy being humble, being you right. Oh, you see, that is that becomes so, this is why our work is so important as coaches. Mm. You know, I'm an artist, I paint, but my work is, is a document of the people I work with, the paintings of the documents of the people I work with. And when you say that, like somebody working in reproduction, the pain I feel when I hear that somebody has got their intellectual property or their ideas, all that, that sacral womb energy and mm. is being passed off because somebody told them when they was younger or society has told them, you need to be quiet. Yeah, yeah. So invest in coaching maybe you don't have a loud voice like me because not everybody needs a loud yeah. voice like me but maybe you can learn how to direct your quiet voice mm -hmm. and that soft quiet energy my auntie nora who died last year mm -hmm. honestly tiny woman 
I swear she gave birth to giants. All of her children sort of went through six foot by the time they were two years old and she's just <laughs> tiny. And they were, and you know, black people, they were loud. They were loud. Yeah. You know, the one person you always heard, Auntie Nora, that quiet voice that just cut yes. through the noise because we were all up here. Yes. So we instantly keyed into that little voice down there. And I just, and I said to my clients, listen, if yours is the little voice, then you're my Auntie Nora. And Auntie Nora always got what she wanted because we all had such respect for her. You have to be the loud one. Yeah, you don't have yeah. to be the quiet one. You can be the one in between. But whoever you are, I think, seriously, how much are you worth? Yeah. Because when you know, when you start to see that you are worth a lot, then investing in yourself is chicken's feet. That is really important. That is really important. And I'm going to leave it there, but I feel like, I feel like, to be honest with you, with what you're saying, what, what sticks out for me is safety, mm. is our rights and our voice. Mm. And those three things, like all what Black women need as a starting point in yeah. any self-actualization. Yeah. Once they have their voice, then they can create the next, the next, you know, your word is your once. Once you find your authentic voice, you can create so many things. And to me, at this place now from where I was before, I feel like investing in coaching is a no-brainer. Yeah. It's important for me for, from being able to have agency and to really feel safe. There's a lot about it at the beginning. Yeah. I felt unsafe, paying yeah. money and all the other stuff. But once I paid my first money, when I saw the difference of what was happening in my life, mm. I felt unsafe not doing it. Yeah, yeah. And we des we deserve it just as much as any other bodied person, you know. We just keep believing the lie that we're not worth it, and that if we do it, it's it's fool's gold, etc. So, do your due diligence. Check out the people you're investing in, you know, and just just rise, queen, rise. <laughs> Thank you so much. If you want to be part of an incubator of some amazing creative women, then you need to join the highly capable creative one-to-one -one program with me. To join, you can just contact me at www.mjfontaine.co.uk and book a sales call with me to join this amazing six-month program where we get to work on your creative business. We also get to work clearing your blocks and also bringing that confidence up to 100 so you can stand in your agency and live your best life.